This podcast is proudly brought to you by Paul's Strength Book, an app for everyone. For less than $2 a day, you can have full access to weight training programs, nutrition, recipes, macro calculators, video library, and you can also track all of your metrics, including weight, measurements, strength, and performance. Search for Paul's Strength Book in all good app stores now. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Paul's Body Engineering Podcast. Today I have an amazing guest, probably one of the, my most favorite guests I've had on for, since doing this for uh, a number of years now, and that is Dr. Eric Helms. Now anyone who is in the world of bodybuilding, natural bodybuilding, or the world of exercise science and research and coaching would know who Eric is. Um, tremendous individual, amazing, amazing man, and uh, really just a top bloke. But I got him on today because I was... Uh, fortunate enough to witness him win his WNBF Pro Card at the WNBF Australia event two weekends ago. Uh, now, for anyone who doesn't know, Eric has been chasing that Pro Card for 14 years, and uh, it's a it's a great story. So I wanted to get the Eric Helms story, and I certainly got that and more. So if you're into bodybuilding, if you're into exercise science, if you're a young teenager wanting to step into the world of natural bodybuilding or just get stronger and better this podcast is for you. So without further ado, let's get on with it. All right. Well, I'd like to welcome Dr. Eric Helms to the podcast this morning, mate. How are you going? Man, I think I told you off air, you said you must be on cloud nine. And I said, that's about a hundred clouds below me. <laughs> that is probably still an accurate depiction of where I'm at, man. And it's Absolutely. A- and and yeah. obviously you're referring to your recent uh, WNBF pro card win. And I was going to sort of save that to later, but we might as well segue straight into that because of the fact that you're on such a high. Do you think you're on such a high because it has taken you so long to get to this point? Or do you think it's just because of the win itself and, and the gratitude towards that? Would, would, I guess to rephrase the question, would you have been as excited and 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 privileged had you had won it, say, two years into your journey? Um, I would say that it, it's a huge honor, privilege, and accomplishment, regardless. But this yep. is kind of like, um, so like if it's a hot air balloon, mm. uh, it's 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 like how much hot air is in there, you know? And and the more times and and seasons and thought and efforts and being this close close but yet so far i think mm. has only made it i guess that much more meaningful you Absolutely. know so um it's cliche but the whole concept that the more times you fail at something not that i necessarily want to frame it as failing no or the more times you you attempt something that when you finally do succeed it, it makes it that much more rich um, is, is probably the way i would frame it so um yeah, the first competitive season where I was in the hunt for a pro card in the WNBF specifically was 2009, mm-hmm. which was my second competitive season. Right. So I can actually relate exactly to that specific question you had of yeah. what would it have been like in your second year or second season in this case, turning mm-hmm. pro? And and that would have meant a lot then um, because uh, it was I had just watched Alberto Nunez in his second season. Right win every single pro card. So for a little bit of context, we're going way back in the in in the ages to the mid 2000s, right? <laughs> so I've just moved back to California, gotten out of the Air Force and I'm taking my first plunge into competitive natural bodybuilding. I do my first show, an INBA show with uh with with Alberto Nuñez and then um you know, we both do a lot of things wrong as you typically do your first season and he realizes the big thing is that he was just way too heavy and needed to get leaner. So he decides to compete the very next year right. and, just get, and just get right back into dieting. And he wins uh, three different Federation Pro Cards, wins the three biggest natural bodybuilding shows in, in California. He wins the INBA Silver and Black, the NGA California, and the INBF Capital City, which is now the Muscle Mayhem. Yep. So he goes PNBA, NGA, WNBF Pro. Um, and I'm his buddy. I'm in the audience. I watch every single one. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. My turn next year. You know? <laughs> there you go. Motivated. 
Um, didn't exactly go that way for me. So mm-hmm. at the INBA Silver and Black, I placed third. At the NGA California, I placed second. Um, and then in the uh, the Cap City, I actually did win the heavyweights and then got into the overall. And then I got to see Moji Alua, who people will be familiar with if they mm-hmm. follow the WNBF, as well as Jeff Alberts, battle it out with Moji coming out just one point and i was you know probably a distant third or fourth in that overall don't even know um so i'm i'm like getting better and better and better and i'm excited and i'm seeing and i you know jeff and i connect backstage this is a formation of 3dmj three weeks later i'm driving up to washington one of the shows that i came back to for the first time in 14 years this year um and boom i win the light heavyweights and i'm in the overall again but this time i'm watching jeff alberts and luke ellis and Jeff Alberts this time wins by one point against Luke hey. Ellis, who's this massive heavyweight. Yeah. Uh, and I'm again probably a distant third or fourth, but I'm like, hey, I got the two overalls. I'm I'm right there. Yeah. And um, and I'm like, Berto, listen, man, I if I just get a little bit tighter, I think I can do this. And he's like, I think you can too. And there's a show September 30th. This was mid-August. The uh, Leroy Perry show. It's a pro am. First year it's happening. Oh nine in my hometown of Sacramento literally 15 20 minutes from my house tops and i'm like all right man just another four weeks we dig hard i get shredded first time i've ever had you know fully striated glutes i compete and i play second to the guy who ends up winning the overall scott kluth um <laughs> shout out to him and he i think he actually came down from washington if i recall correctly and yeah. won that and got his wbf pro card and i was like damn so i um it's about as close as you can get you know i yeah. went from third to second to two first to second to the overall winner. And, uh, and yeah, and that was, that was the, the, the first run. So if, if one of those had gone my way, I would have been ecstatic. You know, that was a very emotional year for me. Mm. Um, I had lost my father. It was, uh, I had actually lost an uncle. I had, you know, had a lot of financial strain as anybody who's a personal trainer in 09 can tell you when the financial collapse occurred. Um, I basically lost one job. There was this company called National Home Trainers that would you drive around, train people in their home with the stuff you got in your your trunk, and they would give you a cut, uh, and they just stopped replying. So you know, you fulfill this contract. I did like sixty hours, and then they just never paid me. Oh man! Uh, but I fulfilled the contract because the people had paid them, so they just ran with the money. And I, okay. I'm you know I'm I'm nice. I didn't feel like people who paid. So I took the hit, you know. Yep. And they basically like tipped me, so I'm making like. $10 an hour for off those, off those. Any. And then while I eventually did get paid, my studio that I was working at closed down and changed owners. And during that ownership change, there was basically a month period where we were just like, fingers crossed, keep working managers there, but the owner is a different owner. And we're like, well, let's really hope that the new owner comes in and honors what the work we did. They did. So it was good. But yeah, you can imagine basically not getting paid for two months when you're in your mid twenties, early stage, you know, like it, it was, uh, it was very tight. Yeah. I can um, imagine. Yeah. Tore my hamstring before my, uh, my first competition. It was a very, very rough year. So like I was kind of processing that grief, all that stuff that was going on and just driving forward, um, and trying to form this thing called 3DMJ. And I'm like, and, and they're all pros, you know, mm. Jeff, Berto, Brad, all WBF pros. And I'm like, I'm the, <laughs> I got to get my pro card and, uh, and yeah, I fell short. Yeah. So it was very disappointing, but at the same time, I also knew I wasn't at their level yet. Mm. So I just kept putting in the years and then I took another run at it literally 10 years later in okay. 2019. And I played second in the Polynesian muscle mayhem. Uh, I won the INBF river city, yep. but there wasn't enough for a pro card. And then I placed second. And my division in INBF Muscle Mayhem coming back to that show 10 years later. Um, and then I I just, I, you know, and I was like, all right, so I'm not quite there yet. And the feedback I got was going to be a little bit bigger. So I was like, all right, we're going to put in a few more years, end up being four because of COVID, mm. which might have been a good thing for all I know. And uh, I'll come back when I'm 40 and uh, and we'll see if all that specific work on my my delts and lats actually made the skinny frame look a little wider and <laughs> um and man this year even started out the same way you yeah, know right. I won i won the new zealand show yeah you know where we first met yep person at least i think and um 
and they were like, yeah, the show was a little bit too small. And the panel thinks if you were a little bit tighter that you, we could have awarded you the, the pro card. And then I placed second to the overall winner. And the next weekend when I went out to back to, to the California to, to do battle of the Bay. Um, so it was starting to be this whole, like I'm bridesmaid again. Um, um, but I was just putting, I just put my head down and kept working. And eventually the Australia show went my way barely, you know, I got the second, I got the second pro card, you know, you did. You did. So yeah. Just, no, that was, that was awesome to watch Knocked my toe over the line, man. Yeah. Well, I, mate, that's all it takes, right? It doesn't matter if you win by a hundred meters or, or a centimeter. It's, um, a win's a win. Do you, take um, the centimeter. yeah, yeah. Do you, so given that you were obviously, you know, as you put it, bridesmaid multiple times, was there any moment within that period that you sort of went, nah, this isn't just going to be my way or the, that spurred you on to just continue on the journey and go, no, 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 I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep trying. You know, I think uh, th- th- that's a complex question. And mm. I think the one thing I've realized is it's something I think it's probably I got from coaching is that um, your emotional state is a transient one. And one of the things that we always coach our athletes to do is to not buy into the narrative that's attached to your emotions in the moment mm-hmm. and especially don't make large decisions based upon where you're at emotionally during Absolutely. contest prep. Mm. Um, so like, for example, like, for example, the, the emotions I've felt in the moment when I've had that have ranged from, I got robbed without even looking at the pictures yet. Right. Okay. To, of course, you know, I'm like, like I'm even surprised I got second. Um, to that's exactly how I thought thought that went, um, and then that has either been motivating or demotivating, and you just have to let go of that. And mm. I would say the fortunate thing for me, you know, is that the entire philosophy that I was developing as I was also going for my my pro card in '09 was surrounded by 3D muscle journey. So I think a very very good thing for me was that I saw in '09 Jeff Alberts get his pro status the NGA and the, and the WNBF. And that's relevant because Jeff had been in the hunt, arguably, and, and he would tell you this, too focused on getting his pro card mm. the past you know decade of competing. And he had some bitter, bitter defeats, losing by a point, feeling like it was politics, traveling you know, out of state, and then just, and, and not even having anybody with him, just him alone in the hotel room, focused on the pro card, like, mm. you know, the competitor's mindset. Um, and he actually had thought he'd retired in 06. He took three years off competing, Mm. like screw this, you know? And he realized that he was missing a piece of himself that he really expressed himself as a bodybuilder as part of his identity, but he committed to coming back. And instead of focusing on the outcome, focusing on the journey and looking at it as a pathway to promote the sport, he started a website and a blog called 3d muscle journey. Uh, he had what's called the natural movement and he interviewed other bodybuilders. So this is old school. Like he had, you know, Lane Norton when he was just kind of known as a person on the, on the forums, he interviewed mm-hmm. me, he interviewed Berto, he interviewed Brad. And this was before we were a collective. Yep. Uh, that's kind of how we got to know each other. And he had a bunch of the other kind of, uh, decently well-known natural bodybuilders on his website as interviews. And, uh, he was sharing his experience and he was preaching, you know, balance, moderation, but still dedication, desire, and discipline. So, um, and that kind of expressive journey focused, like it's about the process and you don't have control over the chips fall. You just bring your best version of yourself. That was being ingrained in me simultaneously as I was also in the hunt and very seriously did want to win. And I think that is something you have to do in bodybuilding if you want to be sustained, if you want to sustain a career in it. Because it is a subjective sport and it's not only just subjective, but even if you have like a good panel who really knows how to follow the judging criteria, even though that might be super consistent, let's say, you know, hypothetically, judges always get it right. We know they don't. And Mm. what is right anyway? Yeah. But let's say there was an objective truth for bodybuilding judging and they always got it right. Um, That is, is colored even more so by who shows up on the day, right? Because it's not you compared to your, it's not just you versus the criteria. It's you in relation to the other people on the stage for the criteria. Exactly. So 
So this season was a bit of a, a mind F for me because I went from winning a show, yep. placing second to placing third in the success of three shows that I did before the Australia show two weeks after that. Mm. Yet my physique improved each week. So I'm getting better, but my placing is getting worse. And it's like, right. what the fuck's going on? <laughs> so I guess the, 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 the long and the short of it is that um, I have always been able to just put my head down and focus on becoming a better version of me and using bodybuilding to express myself and connecting to it in deeper and deeper ways over time. Mm-hmm. It became my vocation. It became my intellectual pursuit. It became the way I express myself artistically. Uh, it became the the pathway to me becoming a more, I would say, just evolved human, learning that I was had greater self-efficacy and I could do hard things in life. I don't think I would do a P- – I wouldn't have a PhD without bodybuilding. I wouldn't wow. thought I, okay. I was capable of it. Yep. Um, I, I think I became a better husband because my first mm. season, I was a pretty shitty husband with bodybuilding. <laughs> And then I was challenged to to get that feedback and be like, listen, you know, this was kind of crap, Eric, from my wife, Barb. And then me going, wow, I, I really need to think about how my decisions are impacting others. Yep. From that point on, prep was a uh, an opportunity to expose my own character flaws because I'm under so much stress, identify them, trace it back, and then work on it. Love that. So, yeah, it's become a transformative experience in many ways. So I think regardless of whether I get the pro card or not, mm. I would bodybuild forever. Okay. Um, but that doesn't mean I didn't want the pro card back. <laughs> of course. Um, and I think that's the reason why I never, to go back to your original question, yeah. um, I would never let a loss discourage me and go, screw it, I shouldn't be in the hunt for this. I'm not going to compete. Yep. Because the actual prep process and getting shredded, you know, um, not just recreational bodybuilding where you know maybe you do a summer cut to look good but you're not mm. getting to five percent body fat no um that's why i kept, I, I would keep getting on stage because it's a vehicle for that transformative experience and uh, seeing if i can bring my best and seeing if i've improved as an advanced lifter um and having to do it to a schedule that i don't have control over to kind of test my metal if you will mm. um i think that process is something that i would keep doing regardless and then the cherry on top, granted, it, it can be a pretty big cherry when, when you let it, when you let your competitive nature come out for myself is the pro card. And in, uh, and I did that in 2019. I kind of went into, into it with the mindset of, you know what? I do this for a lot of other reasons, but let's, let's really lean into, I think I'm good enough now. I took okay. eight years off competing for my yeah, graduate work. Mm-hmm. I know I've improved my physique and I had, I couldn't believe what I looked like in 2019. And then in 2019 to 2023, I actually made some only marginal improvements in my physique, mm. but I think they were targeted and very important, okay. like delt mass and, and lat width mm-hmm. that, that had a disproportionate effect on my presentation as a bodybuilder that really were, I think, the linchpin of why I was able to turn pro this year. They mm. kind of completed my physique, in my opinion. Okay. Um, but anyway, I, all that is to say um, definitely was discouraged. And I think if I had been only or primarily focused on getting a pro card, or if that was, if I didn't have a deeper connection to the sport, I might've given up. And uh, that's why I think it's so important that people make sure they have a solid, solid basis of intrinsic motivation as a competitor before they really put a lot of energy focus and drive towards something extrinsic like a pro card. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that because uh, and it, just a bit of a side question, but do you do you coach yourself, or do you um, just get um, reference from one of the other three DMA three DMJ guys to just double check things for you? Yeah, it's it's collaborative, and okay. I would say that um, the amount of collaboration increases during prep. Yep. In the off season, I'm pretty much purely self coached. Yep. Um, and especially in for powerlifting and things like that, I've definitely outsourced it. You know, like when I was competing in Olympic weightlifting mm. or when I took a little stint for strongman, like, you know, I'm, I worked with people who had more experience than I did. Sure. Um, but, uh, and, and obviously in the off season, you know, I, I get some feedback from, from the guys every now and again, you know, yeah. I, these are my colleagues and it'd be foolish not to, mm. but during prep, I actually go, Hey, Berto, I want to check in on a regular basis. What do you think? Here's what I'm thinking. And I would say that he coaches me just like he would any other veteran bodybuilder. Or it's a little more focused on the outcomes mm-hmm. versus the X of X's nose. 
uh, so that I have the autonomy to leverage my experience and, and, and personal knowledge um, and the flexibility to auto-regulate because I'm very aware of my biofeedback. Yep. But also I'm very aware of my um, decreasing level of objectivity. That's what I was going to ask about, yeah. Which is huge. You know, yep. it doesn't matter what level of knowledge you have or level mm. of experience. Well, not, it doesn't matter what level of experience you have. But it doesn't matter what level of knowledge you have. Um, you're not going to be able to apply that to yourself. Just like a doctor is ethically obligated to not perform surgery on a loved one mm. because they're emotionally connected to them and it clouds their judgment. Imagine trying to perform surgery on yourself. <laughs> Who are you more emotionally connected to? And, and logistics aside, obviously, yeah. but like if you yeah, could yeah. clone yourself, put you on the table, you know? So I, uh, I've always been intensely aware of that. Okay. And I think um, I benefit greatly from having Berto in my corner. While we're making a lot of the same decisions early on in prep, there was a point maybe three or four months in where I would have pushed harder. And he said, you know, I actually think we need to pull back a little bit. Okay. And I kept making progress. And then there was another point where that happened later in prep. Mm. So, you know, that's two adjustments that I wouldn't have otherwise needed to make where I'm like on lower calories and higher step count than yep. um, than needed, which is really just a recipe for, for unnecessary muscle loss or getting lean too early and tapping out before world or just mm. having that so slightly filmy, can't fill out look that we've all seen in someone who is, you know, well dieted, but it just starts to fall off at the edge. And I think I'm, I'm holding on pretty well this season because at least in part because of those uh, calls by Berto. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's good to know. Um, yeah. I, I guess, you know, the reason I asked is because obviously, you know, you can be um, as impartial as you can be, but we've all been in the depths of prep and, and know how uh, irrational you can become. And obviously, you know, then there's the, the side product of food focus and uh, satiation issues and all those sorts of things. So you can obviously make, I guess, um, improper decisions based on just the emotion at the time. So yeah, that was, that's really interesting to get that, that, I guess, second opinion or from, from someone you trust as well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm a lot of coaches and I can tell you this from experience are really shitty athletes because they can't not view things from the, here's what I think I should do. Right. Um, for whatever reason, I think, and I think Berto would agree with this. He's told me, I mean, I don't think he's just blowing smoke up my ass, but <laughs> I think I'm a pretty damn good athlete. I flip a switch. And if it's someone I trust, which is a high bar, I'll be honest, I'm mm. a control freak, but I implicitly trust Berto because I've seen him for years uh, get get it right and uh, and and do things with athletes and understand and work in with that person's psychology. He's very good at reading people, very emotionally intelligent, and he also knows his shit. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's my job to make sure that that our guys know their shit, so I know that they know that I know their shit. Right? <laughs> so, um, and he's also not like just telling me what to do. He's like, I don't know what what do you think when mm. he responds to my check in. So, it, it's uh, it's the way a coaching relationship should be. He's he's taking my input as the as something that 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 influences what he then suggests to me yep. um and then once we come to a consensus which we do very quickly then i'm like yeah i'll just do it yep. so um so yeah and and he always gives me insights like here's what i think i'm seeing with your personality you know like you trend towards overdoing it if i mm -hmm. leave you to your own devices you know you're gonna you know you're gonna get a few more steps you're gonna be overestimating <laughs> your calories you know things like that so just be aware of that and here's, and this is why. So it's, it's always a good learning experience and it's a great collaboration. Unreal. Unreal. So what have you learned about yourself as a person over this, um, what's it been 16 years now, which is a lifetime for many, um, yeah. you know, obviously you've learned a lot about you as a bodybuilder and an athlete, but as a person, you know, we're talking obviously a lot more mental resilience because, you know, let's, let's talk um, black and white. I'm, I'm assuming you still have those really tough days where you're dragging your feet and you're feeling quite tired and all the emotions can get the better of you and things like that. So through all of that experience, what what do you think you've learned the most having gone back several times now to compete? Yeah, you know, the, I think the biggest thing is um, that the the more you can minimize those types of days, mm. the easier you can make, make prep feel. It's counterintuitive for the intermediate and the early stage competitors who feel like, oh, once I've developed my willpower, I can push further to get further. Yep. And like, that's kind of true, but so much of getting into pristine condition is preserving the willpower necessary to do so mm. and pushing only as hard as you need to get there so that you're not, it's not coming at a cost. 
socially, psychologically during the diet or after. Um, and I can tell you that, um, every prep I've done has gotten easier. There was a monumentally shift, monumental shift from like 09 to 2011. And then from 2011 to the last two, even more so. So I've have had those days, but they are the exception rather than the rule. I, I am remarkably functional and feel pretty good right now. Oh, um, cool. it's not to say there hasn't been, you know, hard days or digging, but I think with knowing what's coming and knowing what is an appropriate level of digging with experience has been great. I think the other things I've learned about myself are that um, the the level of belief that I have had in my capabilities in bodybuilding mm. um, are changing. You know, I, and I think that is it is to say that certainly I have domains in my life where I have confidence and I have self belief, and I don't put limits on myself. Uh, I would say academically, intellectually, I, I've, I've had an, I've accumulated enough wins and, and stepped up and, and this is not always the case, mind you. Hmm. Um, I didn't think I was someone who would, you know, be capable of getting a doctor and have the drive or the, or, or the intelligence, um, as a, as a young man. And, um, that was built over time by overcoming my own, you know, self doubts or negative self talk. Right. And I think for bodybuilding, that is also now the case, but I had to kind of just shelf expectations okay. and just simply put my head down and put in the work because I knew that I didn't have the self-belief and that if I listened to that voice or thought about it too much, it would actually get in the way of me doing the work I needed to do. It's kind of a, you know, there's a self-fulfilling prophecy to be like a self-defeating prophecy. Mm. Like, I don't think I have what it takes. So then, you know, I mean, how often do we see that in life as coaches or oh, absolutely right? Like what's the point? I'm not good enough. So I won't work hard enough to see if I'm good enough. Yep. And there's whole like arcs of content on the internet where you can find that, like what's my natural potential. And a lot of the times it's, it's not always, but it's coming from this insecure place of, I think I'm shit. So tell me that I have a lower potential so that I can push <laughs> towards it, you know? Yeah. Um, and like, I'm, I'm not saying that's negative content. You, you don't want to be like, Hey man, I'm going to get as big as Jay Cutler. Like you want to have realistic expectations, but but at the same time, you don't, you don't want to set yourself up to sell yourself short. Mm. And I was aware of that. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. You know what? I've committed to this bodybuilding thing. I'm going to take it as far as I possibly can. And I'm going to fill my cup. And I almost saw it as a negative to think about how, how my cup would stack up against other cups. Um, and I, I think, I think to some degree that was very facilitated for me. And mm-hmm. I think for people with similar self doubts, um, even when you're competing, thinking about how you stack up against others in an individual sport can be a negative, mm. right? Um, because ultimately in track and field, whether you're trying to jump, run, or in powerlifting, you're trying to squat bench and deadlift, Olympic weightlifting, uh, or in bodybuilding, there is no defense. You know, um, if you get the strongest you could be, that's no different to trying to be stronger than other people ultimately, because you can't do anything about it. Right. So, um, you don't get to walk up and kick them in the leg. It's not boxing or something like that. So, um, but I think that can be something that you tap into that motivates you, that can get you through hard workouts, but only for people who that doesn't discourage them. And for me, I knew it was a mixed bag. I I've had moments of time where I've surprised myself and like, I'm ready to go in the hunt. Like 2019 was, I think the first year where I was like, shit, I think I'm a pretty good bodybuilder. Let let me go after this shit. But Mm -hmm. that took me till my fourth season. You know, I'd competed in 07, 09, 2011. I'd actually gotten a PNBA pro qualification, but I still didn't have the ability to look at myself and go, I'm a pretty good bodybuilder. I thought Mm -hmm. like I'm getting by on the fact that I'm shredded I have okay symmetry, but I am uh, small and I don't have good structure. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm a good poser. So if I sneak in and I do things right and I outwork people, I can, I can do all right. And in 2019, I was like, you know, okay, I'm maybe I'm not the widest, but I am kind of pretty. Like, I'm like, like this is, you know, I got some, I got some aesthetics here. Yeah. Like, let me lean into that. I did the Frank Zane shoot and I was like, oh shit. Yeah. Like, am I actually a decent bodybuilder? Um, but I didn't believe it yet. And, okay. um, so the biggest thing I've learned about myself is that I have to accumulate wins 
and really convince myself that I'm capable of something. And then once I have, that is where I really actually start to excel. Mm. Um, in academia, for example, I remember when it ticked over and I went, shit, I'm actually pretty smart. And then all of a sudden I saw my career explode. So to some degree, I'm actually really excited about what this season has done for my self-confidence because I really think now it's going to motivate me to have a next level set of progress from a psychological perspective. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm hoping to have a second 20s in my 40s. Good. Um, and I and I know that sounds unrealistic and it's not like I haven't been busting my ass and trying and grinding yeah. myself in the dust. And, you know, I've had like hip surgeries and bicep tears. It's not like I haven't been trying, you know, but I... <laughs> I think there's something intangible um, about the level of motivation you get when you have self-belief that stacks those chips. And I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight, but I do think my mid-40s, I'm going to maybe even surprise myself again and and potentially other people with with what I'm able to accomplish physique-wise. And I think that, yeah, you asked me, how has this changed me as a person? I'm talking about my physique, but really that that is a, a symbol for what does self-belief and self-efficacy do for people? I yeah, think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great answer. I love that. Um, so since, you know, you've been obviously 14 years, uh, 16 years now, which is obviously a long time. Yeah. We've seen the sport grow incredibly fast over that period. And, and in particular, probably the last 10, you know, um, kids are starting younger, you know, the teenagers are getting into the gym, which is great, you know, from a health and fitness perspective. Um what would be your advice for a 16-year-old who's who's wanting to obviously, you know, I, I guess the landscape has changed a lot with social media now too, so that there's that presence to consider. But what would be some of the advice you would give to a young up-and-starter who's getting into the gym, wanting to obviously, you know, for their lack of a better term, get jacked and uh, and look good and obviously, you know, impress the girls and all this sort of stuff. But with that in mind, you know, obviously we have a, a prevalence of um, – of PEDs and SAMs and all this sort of stuff sitting on the sideline that can get them to a goal a lot faster too, because we live in that need it now culture. So someone who wants to sort of pursue the natural, uh, the natural form without going down that path, what's some advice you would potentially give them? Absolutely. That's a great question. So I think the first thing is that the reason why most people go the enhanced route at that young of an age Mm. um, has more to do with the fact that they don't actually have a strong why. Mm. Um, they are very, very outcome focused and they think that getting to this vision of what their physique will look like will have some significant impact and change upon their self-worth, their social worth, um, their place in the world, and it'll make them potentially, however they're negatively feeling about themselves, become positive. And we know that's simply not true. Um, you know, when you are, are doing these things, um, you might do it starting for one reason and then something hooks you and you find the benefits you get aren't what you expected. And it's really hard to explain that to someone who is 16 or even 21. Like if, mm-hmm. even if I was to talk to myself, um, but most people who are jumping on, you know, very serious, hardcore training and deciding they want to use SARMs right now. If I was to bet money, I'd say five years are not going to be lifting anymore. Yeah. Okay. Right. Honestly. Mm. Um, so the, the issue to me is not that people are actually jumping on anabolics at an early age. I mean, that's not great. Don't get me wrong. Sure. Um, but it actually is just compounding the existing issue. It's that they're not getting into fitness for any good reason. Um, it is something that I think is an industry problem. It's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a diet culture, quote unquote problem. You know, most, most bodybuilders are not influencers. They, they can be, but, um, man, there's a ton of bodybuilders who have crazy physiques compared to influencers and they barely use social media Yeah, because they have a deep personal connection to, uh, the pursuit and it's a vehicle for self mastery, right? Whether you are a, a, a sushi chef who, who painstakingly cuts the, the sashimi in a certain way, or whether you're learning to play the trumpet and you're just trying to get it you know, amazingly perfected. Um, those things are vehicles for self-mastery and bodybuilding can be one of those. And I'm not expecting a 16-year-old to get that or pursue that. But I think what I can say is, regardless of what you're, the reason why you want to start getting into fitness now, 
I can say without a doubt that you're not going to stick with it long enough to get the results you want. Or even if you do get the results, they'll be short-lived because you'll stop unless you find a deeper connection to it. So look inward, figure out who you want to be, why you want to do something, what values you have, and then take an honest look at fitness and see what aspects of the process do you enjoy? Uh, Can you appreciate the journey? Can you see value in the training independent of what comes from it? Hmm. And then on top of that, can you see value in improvement rather than getting to whatever you have on your poster or that save picture or looking like that other person or looking better than the people around you? Um, so I think you want to have a multi-layered cake of motivation. And, you know, the base of that is enjoying the process itself. The next level is self-improvement. And I think that's actually important, especially for bodybuilders to hear. The base Absolutely. is the process. Yep. Because improvement can be a tyrannical oppressor mm. where you know you might go through the whole process of doing a competitive season and feel like you didn't really improve that much and all of that effort time is unappreciated the mental lessons the emotional lessons um the the the, the, the simple fact of hey i tried something it didn't work and i'm going to learn from that it just feels like a failure yep um so for example in 2011 i actually think my physique was a little bit better in 09 I mean, there are some ways you could argue that I improved in some ways, but I degraded in others. But I lost some size on my upper body, and I wasn't as lean as I was in 2009. Um, right. I improved my posing, and I brought some other things up, and and I had to, I performed better on stage, which was kind of a saving grace. But I'm really glad that that was my third season when I saw that because I went, okay, back to the drawing board for my upper body. I was doing something right back then. What was it? And how do I bring these two things together? And and that lesson is, is inconsequential to the, this conversation. But if you think you have a good intrinsic motivation, it's always like, oh, I'm just trying to beat me. It's me versus me. That's great. But when you don't beat you, which sometimes happen and will inevitably happen mm. if you get to say your, your 60s or 50s or, you know, father time wins inevitably always, uh, even if you're you're still winning at 52 like Jeff Alberts, but maybe you're 62. And your name is not Marshall Johnson, and and, and you're not winning. Uh, you're not beating your, your prior self. What's going to keep you in the game? And the last thing you want to do is stop lifting in your 60s. That's like the exact negative thing to to have like the life that we want and, you know, fall prevention and anti-aging and all that stuff. So how do you focus on enjoying the process or being the best version of yourself that you can be today? Um, you have to have some mental gymnastics there, but the base of that cake needs to be about a love for the the act you know like this is an aesthetic not aesthetic process this is a a practice this is the same thing that a monk does when he gets up and meditates mm. the same thing that um you know someone who does archery does when they focus and they concentrate and they enjoy it and they're enjoying it before they even release the arrow to see if it hits the bullseye right um a martial artist going through their kata, not necessarily winning a competition or a fight, but going, ah, oh, this is this is my discipline. Mm. You want to get to that with with fitness, health, your lifestyle. And then the next layer, like I said, for as long as you can, yeah, try to beat yourself. You try to beat you. And then the very top later, the smallest part, you know, the part of the cake that some people don't even like that much, you know, the frosting, it's a little too fake tasting, you know, the cherry that's, you know, maybe it's a little too sweet. That should be the pro card. Yeah, you can enjoy it. You can chase it um, or, you know, a pro win or whatever competitive outcome. And the reality is the vast majority of competitors don't even get to have that. Mm. And I think that's something we forget. You know, sometimes I've talked to world champions in powerlifting and bodybuilding. I've coached them and they say things like, you know, I, I don't really get the point of of competing in the Masters or I don't get the point of doing this for people who are placing 10th. Like they can't relate to that. And they're vulnerable. Their motivation is vulnerable. They just happen to be so genetically gifted or or even, you know, psychologically gifted or talented. They have the things that they haven't really had to think about that are in place so that when they started competing, they were in the elite. And there is an advantage to being the draft horse, not being the purebred, mm. to being good enough to where you can eventually become a uh, someone who gets a pro card or who places really well. Um, but you spend a lot of time getting thirds and seconds and, 
And even me, you know, like I'm sitting here complaining about seconds and thirds, and there's plenty of bodybuilders who are like, fuck, Eric, I would love to win my class. I haven't done that ever, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, but you, but you lose your perspective, you yeah. know? And, you know, I think I have shitty genetics. And I've also heard people who've won world titles say, I think I have shitty genetics. And they're just comparing themselves to, you know, the person who has slightly better genetics, who's always there. Mm. So I think it's really important not to let those external comparisons, even when you care about them and you're trying to win, take over too much or you're giving up power. You know, the easiest thing to do is blame the judges or say that it was out of your hands or say that it was some extrinsic factor that didn't allow you to place well. And that makes you feel better in the moment, but it takes away your ability to have agency and say, well, what could I have done differently? So I think it's just important to remind ourselves that if you're doing even decently well, you're placing top three in a in a in a eight person class. You know, you not you don't you know you've been fighting for years to get your pro card, um, can't get it. Well, how do you think the person in fourth feels, or fifth, or sixth, or seventh, or eighth? Good point. Yeah, and they're just as much as part of this community. They're just as much our, our our brothers and sisters as anybody else. They they we respect them, right? It's about effort in our community. It's about consistency. It's about showing up. Yeah, we, we we give a lot of accolades to the winners, but many times the people who are standing on top of the podium in the professional division with a gold medal around their neck are trying just as, and sometimes maybe not as hard, as someone who's placing eighth in an amateur local show. Mm. And their efforts produce different outcomes. And I think it's okay to celebrate winners. We should. And and those amazing specimens of people uh, are, are very motivating. And they yep. tell us what humanity's pinnacle can be but ultimately the thing we need to celebrate the most and encourage is the effort that leads to it not the thing you get when 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 you've put in the effort um because there's something worth it and i really hope people who are placing fifth and fourth and third and eighth keep going if and and it can find the rewards from it somewhat independent of placing and let the placing and the chips fall where they may mm. so i think uh all that is to say for the young 16-year-old, the first person getting into it, you need to have a deep personal connection to this thing we call lifting or bodybuilding, or you're probably not going to be doing it five years from now. Yeah. Great point. Great point. You actually described a lot of my bodybuilding career. I started in 14 and did exactly just that. I barely placed. In fact, I probably didn't place, if I remember correctly, in the multiple feds I did. Came back 16, made some top fives, came back 17, got some top threes, and then 19, I jagged to pro cards. So it wasn't from lack of trying, and it certainly didn't, um, you know, diminish my ability to want more. Um, but you just have to subjectively look at yourself, take the feedback on board, and and get better, and, and you know, put in the effort to get better. And I, I think that's, you know, what everyone should aspire to, to do. You said it perfectly. And yeah. yeah. From the competitor's mindset, that's exactly what you do. You use you use your your lower placings to learn what you need to do to place higher. Yep. Um, my very 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 first season, I did two INBA shows. Sorry, I did an INBA show and a uh, and an NPC show, which right. is an un- untested show. Yep. And the reason why I did the NPC show was because of the lesson I learned in the INBA show. So I did the novice class and I said, you know what? I'll jump in the open too. Why not? Mm. INBA allows that. Should they? I don't know. INBA likes to collect money from a billion crossovers. So <laughs> I did the, I did the novice tall and there was three of us and we were all definitely novices. Yep. Um, but the other two gentlemen were, were younger than me. Um, and I, I could just tell they didn't quite know what do you need to do to look good on, on stage? I'm not sure they fully dieted enough, but nonetheless, I won the novice tall class. I'm like, oh shit, I'm awesome. You know, um, not really having a gauge of where I stood or where not. And and then 20 minutes later, I jump in the in the open and I place four out of four. Right. I'll place, place third. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had this whiplash effect of, and honestly, I look back at the pictures and I realized, oh, I'm bad, right? Like, <laughs> I'm not very good. But <laughs> I, I won that novice class just because uh, none of us were that good and somebody has to be first, second, or third, right? Yeah. No, but I had spilled over. My color wasn't dark enough. I was posing terribly and I didn't have great symmetry. I was basically lacking a back and I made it all worse with the way I was, I, w- I was posing. And, and I had also like oiled myself up too much. I just kind of looked like this yellow skinny oil spill. Uh, <laughs> so I realized that despite the fact that I won the novice, I wasn't any more proud of that 
than mm. placing fourth in the open. I was like, I didn't represent myself well, even not even to the best that I could right now. I, I, I messed up the game day. It's like, all right, next week I'm jumping in the NPC Contra Costa with 23 other novice middleweights. And I don't care how I place. Half of these guys are, are, are probably, you know, not drug free, even in the novice class. And what I'm going to do is get my color right. I'm going to fix my posing. I'm going to fix my peak. And if you find any pictures of me from my 07 season, there's a few out there. They're probably from the NPC Contra Costa, mm. where I placed 16th along with six other middleweights, which just means it did not finish. Um, not where I won my novice class uh, the week prior in a oh. natural show. Um, because I posed better, I peaked better. And that was the best I could have been in 07 yep. with the level of skill and knowledge I had with a week to correct. And I was proud of those pictures. I was proud of that show. That made me feel complete that season. It, if, if I had just done the novice class and not jumped in the open, I guarantee you I would be a far worse bodybuilder today because I didn't have that last placing and the ability to look back. I would have been too focused as, as a young, young man who was too focused on winning in 07. If I just went in, won my novice class, my expectation when I went back in 09 was now I win the open class. Yeah, right. I, but I wouldn't have made the necessary corrections. Mm. I wouldn't have been honest with myself. And it would have been like, you know, the glass jaw boxer who wins his first fight, thinks he's a badass, gets knocked out, and he's never the same and doesn't fight aggressively. Yep. Um, so I'm really uh, grateful that I just made that, you know, decision to jump into the open as well and got humbled. Um, and that I bought the, sh the, the show picks and I was like, oh, my God, not even the professional photographers can make this look good. <laughs> yeah. Let's slide into a moment. Yeah. Yeah. So that I think that was really key. And yeah. uh, you probably had a lot more maturity going into it, that mindset. I had kind of had to have that forced upon me through that mm -hmm. experience. I didn't go into it thinking, you know what? It's my first season. We'll see how we do. Yep. I went into it in 07. I even said to my wife, you know what? If I can't be uh, Mr. Natural Olympia, I don't know if I'd keep lifting. So yeah. early on, I had this very, very, you know, I had a, you know, upside down cake and I didn't, I was probably overly confident. I mm -hmm. thought I was, because I had really good newbie gains. I put on a lot of muscle immediately, but I didn't have any concept of how much of a a dog and pony show based upon structure that bodybuilding can be. Yep. Um, and I didn't have any concept of, you know, the difference between being the biggest guy in your local gym or be having the strongest deadlift and then being Mr. Natural Olympia, like yeah. Philip Ricardo Jr. That's there's there's levels to this shit. So um with experience, I think I probably erred too far in the other direction. I went from overconfident to maybe too insecure. Um, but I, you know, I managed that through what, what I talked about earlier and it, and it paid off. And, and now I think I'm probably finally calibrated to where I should be. And I don't have these emotional hangups or narratives around it. I'm just ready to put in the work. And I feel like I proved to myself that I've earned my spot and the right to say, Hey, I'm going to gun to be a competitive pro and we'll see where the chips fall. Mm. I don't do honestly, I don't think I'm gonna be a world champion, but I would be damn proud to place top five at worlds one day or, or to place top three at a pro show. Yep. And honestly, that's, that's the stars. Yep. You know, cliche as it is, I'm going to shoot for the stars. If I land on the moon, Hey, if I get top 10 at worlds, like 10th, that's the best I ever do. So long as there's more than 10 in that class, <laughs> then I'll be a happy man. And that's honestly, I'd, I'd be a happy man if, if I don't do any damage in the pros. Cause I didn't need, I did not think I would even get here. Okay. I'm honest with you, Paul. Mm. Fair cool. Okay. No, I appreciate that. So, all right, that's a good segue into the, the next question. And I will start to round this up just so I don't chew up too much of your time. But um, can you take me into the moment that they announced you as the open, uh, sorry, the pro card winner two weekends ago? So, obviously, you, you picked up your master's pro card first, won that, and then you came out with Lawrence as a second look between you and him in regards to, you know, we potentially want to give another pro card here. They yeah. obviously did the did the rounds, and then your name was announced. Now you you had a moment on stage, and obviously several moments afterwards. But can you take us into just the emotion? And did you you know did you flash back over your career, or did you just feel heavily overwhelmed? Because obviously you know for fourteen years you've been chasing this uh, this dream. Yeah, man. And I think I got little glimpses of it throughout the whole day, mm. um, where I became aware of the possibility, and it was kind of like. You know, was it Doctor Strange seeing all all the potential things, and then it narrows down to <laughs> what's going to happen? So the first thing that was really interesting is I thought, okay, they're going to have a Class A, Class B, 
They've got, they've got, it's, it's a big bodybuilding class. It's double digits, but it's not like 20 where we're going to have middles, lights and heavies. Um, and I thought for sure, I'm six foot. I'm probably going to weigh in around 80 kilos. I'll be in the heavies. Mm. Right. Um, didn't know how many units were showing up to the show. (laughs) Um, so there was 10 in the open bodybuilding and basically the way it shook out, if they wanted five and five, which I think was a good decision on, on their part, um, was that the cutoff was basically right between me and Lawrence. It was like right. 80 kilos and under 80 kilos and heavier. And I was, I, I weighed in in his shirt and I was 81 something. So they put me down as 80. And I think Lawrence weighed in at like 82. Okay. So it, in actuality, if we had both weighed in in trunks, I think there probably would have been less than a kilogram difference between us. Okay. Right. But we ended up being the split. So when I saw that the thing come out and I was in the lightweights or I guess class A, because mm. it's not, appropriate to call it lightweight we only split it in two i was like is this a mistake did you guys think i was someone else and they're like no you were you're like you're the cutoff you know and i was like oh that's weird like i'm gonna be against <laughs> the short guys you know um and uh and you know there's some insecurity right there because another another competitor a more secure in their physique competitor would be like sick i'm top of the lightweights i'm gonna out muscle these fools you know <laughs> um and as my peak started to go and as i saw myself and it went really well. I was peeked out of my mind. Berto yep. landed the plane. I was pumping up, looking in the mirror, and I said to Alex Thomas, who yep. I was staying with, great guy. You know, he was I know, my, I know him well. Yeah, he's the man. Yeah, I was like, I walked over to him. And I was like, I don't want to sound arrogant, but like, this is the best I've ever looked. I can't believe that's me in the mirror. Like, I'm, I am peeked out of my mind, man. Yeah. Um, and even in like the not great lighting, because we we're kind of like half outside, I was like, could see the quad separation. My delts were sticking out further. And I went into that class very confident. Um, so so that was the, the first thing I saw. The next thing I saw was that, okay, I'm going to do the Masters. I'm going to jump in, um, see what you think. And for those who don't know, so the way WBF New Zealand and WBF Australia are going, because they're new federations, mm. is there's a bit of, um, bef- like the way it is in the States and in many other established countries, is it's simple. If you have eight in the open bodybuilding class, you can get a pro card in that class. If there's more than eight, you can potentially have multiple class winners do it. Or sometimes it's like the second person overall. Yep. And it in New Zealand, because the show was quite small, what they had was an external panel to decide pro status. So I actually won that show. Yep. But the external panel said, mm, this wasn't enough competitors and you're not quite in peak condition. Okay. Fair call, mm. right? Um, so there is some subjectivity. We're not doing that again next year. Next year, the judging panel themselves makes the decision. And then if there's enough in the class, it's, so it's a lot more clear cut, right. which I really think is the way you should do it. It's kind of hard to judge over a live stream. Sure. Um, but anyway, like I judged at that show last year. I agreed to that, those rules then, and I agreed to him as a competitor. I completely accept the decision and, you know, all is well that ends well, um, despite the potential issues with that system. Um, so at Australia, similar system, but, Larger judging panel, bigger show. Um, they had a lot of experienced people involved. WNBF head of Taiwan, as mm-hmm. well as uh, WNBF head of New Zealand, Simon Collins, on the judging panel. Multiple experienced judges from ICN, coaches, Joey Cantlin. Mm-hmm. A lot of good people. Nicole Hitchcock, she's a WNBF pro. Um, a lot of good people on the panel. So uh, they had the, the panel themselves got to make any subjective calls around that. And what they'd established a priori beforehand is, hey, if we have more than eight in the bodybuilding, then the judges have the opportunity to award a second pro card, so long as there's nine or more. Yep. So the other thing I saw is, okay, we got 10. So they they could decide to give a second pro card. So that's that's exciting. But it's going to be a subjective call, mm. right? So the Masters win was just me and three other guys. Now, I don't want to – It's not, just because it was a small class doesn't mean it wasn't competitive. Arash, mm. the guy who placed second to me, he got moved to the center. It's a tight battle. He's actually an A and B A and a P and B A pro, and he's mm. done quite well as a pro. And he was diced. Yeah. I, I he might have been even a little bit leaner than me, but certainly we carry it in different spots. But I was like, God damn, this guy is looking really good. And he gave me an absolutely tough fight, not only in the Masters but also in the lightweights. Um, and in the Masters, here was the next little piece of information that kind of narrowed that funnel. I won, but we didn't have five. That's the requirement in the Masters to get get a pro card. Typically, we had three. But the judges having that that capability of making the call said, you're worthy of a master's pro card. And I was like, oh, shit. And I had an emotional moment then because yep. I realized they were saying 
you are pro quality or at least yeah. master's pro quality. And, you know, the little voice in me goes saying, oh, it's not quite the same. But I knew I had already had the, the, the judges panel saying, you have a pro quality physique. And I won the class. I was like, okay, so this is a different decision than I got back in September when they said, oh, you're not quite there. This is saying you are there. So I was like, okay, this this is a good sign. And, and you know, the, the, the branches of reality are starting to narrow. You know, Schrodinger's pro cards are becoming more likely. Yeah. <laughs> right? So then I went into the lights and I see, okay, Arash is there again. I know I can beat him. Alex Connor is a very good competitor. Um, we'll see how this shakes out. And that ended up being the top three and I came out on top. And I was like, oh my God. So at that moment, when, when, uh, when they put the medal around my neck, just winning my class, I was already starting to lose it emotionally a little bit because I knew the possibility was there. And I yep. could tell, fuck, this is going to be an emotional day no matter what happens, you know? Right. So now I've won my class, I've won the masters and I know I'm going to be going in the overall and I know I'm going up against Muhammad and, mm-hmm. uh, he's been crushing it all season. And I knew this was going to be a battle of conditioning versus muscularity. Yep. Um, I didn't think I was going to come out on top and deservedly I did not. But I also knew that, and they kept saying it, the MC said, there's a, there's a shot at a second pro card here. And I was like, man, like, even if he beats me, I've got a really good chance. And, um, and what ended up happening is they basically needed to figure out who is the second best overall. So at Mm -hmm. the time point when Muhammad deservedly beat me for those who weren't there, or not sure the rules are listening, they then needed to figure out, okay, well, we got these two guys who play second to Muhammad. Which one's actually second best? Lawrence did it in the class. Yep. I did it in the overall. So Lawrence gets brought back out and we get compared. And they're specifically saying this is to figure out who is second and third overall mm-hmm. with a potential shot at the pro card. And I'm thinking, they already told me I'm pro worthy. Yeah. Obviously, so obviously if Lawrence beats me, he's getting the second open pro card. And if I beat him, I'm probably getting a pro card. So I was already emotional. Right. And as soon as they gave Lawrence the bronze, and that was a tight fight, that was a good battle. Mm-hmm. You know, we have different strengths and weaknesses, and I think it was a, an honor to 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 have him be, you know, the final boss for me. Yeah. Um. I was like, fuck. I was like, oh my god, it's about to happen. And I was like, you know, you don't know that. Maybe yep. you're not good enough for an open pro card. Maybe maybe they're going to say, and eh, we don't think you're the, one, the ones you're worthy. <laughs> But I, I knew like 95% chance based upon all the things that had happened that they even made the comparison. Because that means they probably thought we were both pro-worthy. Mm. They seemed to figure out which one of us was better on the day. Um, and Lawrence, if you're listening, that is what that means. You know, I think if you'd beat me, you'd be a pro right now. So, um, so anyway, I was just barely trying to keep it together because I knew that if I couldn't keep it together enough, I would have the, you know, the, like the tear streaks while I'm trying to wear my mother, my, my, yeah. my medal. And then I'd be like emblazoned as the crying, you know, uh, you know, guy with the silver medal around his neck, you know, um, show crying bodybuilder. Exactly. Exactly. Crying, crying Eric Jordan. So I, I, but I did cry on stage and it was, I, I got myself together enough. And to answer your question of what did I feel, what did I think of, I felt the weight of 14 years, but I didn't cognitively flash through it or think through it. It was just kind of like this wave of emotion. Yeah, well. Um, and then I got off stage. I didn't run, but I was tempted to because I needed to get the hell out of there and feel. Mm. Um, and this is funny. And I went to the first bathroom that I saw, which backstage is right there in the pump-up like area above the steps. Not thinking about the fact that it's closed off and has a little red tape around it and why, but that's the drug testing bathroom. And you're not <laughs> supposed to go in there because, you know, you could like supposedly like plant urine or tamper or something like that. Yeah. And I'm bawling my eyes out. I'm not, not even kidding. Like, like ugly cry in the bathroom, like just like letting the full weight of the emotions hit me and having a moment. And my wife had literally arrived a few minutes or she, she arrived a few minutes after I'd won my class because she had to come right from the airport to there. Mm. Um, and she was trying to find me. So, uh, you know, she she knocks on the bathroom, and, and I let her in, and we have a moment. And, I'm, you know, I don't hug her, because she'd be, she'd be brown in a second. <laughs> so now we've got two people in the bathroom, you know, one of, them, one of whom needs to be drug tested in the <laughs> drug testing bathroom, probably breaking some rules. By saying this, I'm probably going to get my, my pro card revoked. And I hear, you know, a sweet knock from one of the awesome, uh, you know, uh, people who are, are the expediters, like, excuse me, uh, Dr. Helms. And I'm like, yes, what's up? And they're like, 
you can't be in there. It's a drug testing <laughs> bathroom. I'm like, oh shit, I'm so sorry. So I leave, you know. So, um, but it, it was it was a, a it was a series of of just I, I just couldn't control myself, you know. And then I you know I'm crying in front of Daniel Chappelle, who's also kindly helping me with Alex Thomas yep. backstage. Um, and you know another thing I should say is just how much this can mean to people is that Muhammad, this is his second season. He's 41, um, but he's put a lot into like he he's been dieting. I want to say since January or December. And I will be dieting for 41 weeks once Worlds is done. Yep. So even if it is just your second season, you haven't put in 14 years. When he beat me, he collapsed onto his knees and put his like he yeah. had a moment. Like that's yeah. that's the norm. This is a big deal, you know. Yeah. So um, so yeah, it's not like I'm competing at, at who who was it a bigger deal for who cried more, but and a lot goes into it. And, it and if you listen to, to Lawrence talk about it, and he's mm. been very candid on uh, Bodybuilding Down Under as well as the General Muscle Podcast, yep. great guy. Yeah, great guy. You know, he he talked about emotions that I have literally felt almost identically mm. of what it's like to be just that close. Yeah. And he's had a couple of just that close moments, both in the ICN and now in the WBF this mm. season. Um, and he is that close too. You know, I, I I relate. You know, I had those moments in 2019 and 2009. Mm. And um, they're hard, but they will absolutely make the victory that much sweeter when it does happen. Oh, and absolutely. Well, he's just... he's 23, too. He's got a lifetime of bodybuilding in front of him, too, and and good bodybuilding, too. Like, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. No, and he's. I think, honestly, he's going to get there earlier than me, and he's going to yeah. be more competitive when he gets there. And, uh, and Lawrence, if you're listening, when you do need to have your moment and break down and cry, just try to avoid the drug testing bathroom. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. That's a good story to tell. <laughs> Mate, uh, it, it, it has been an absolute pleasure. I um, uh, We crossed paths back in, I think I mentioned this in New Zealand, back in 2018 at the UEBC. Br- very briefly, yes. you obviously presented right. um, with Lane and, and Mike and uh, Brett and um, uh, James, and it was just a panel of everybody. And I, I must admit, I walked away from that long weekend uh, and it fundamentally changed my career. I learned so wow. much in those three days compared to the, you know, the previous couple of years. Um, so I've been obviously following your journey ever since then. Um, so I had to come up and say hello at, at New Zealand and, 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 you know, shake your hand and say good day and obviously competed that day. So that was really cool. But yeah. You I looked a little to... different on, on that day than UEBC, I bet. A little, maybe more red shredded, small face maybe you're yeah. wearing glasses you weren't on stage by the way very impressed with your conditioning man you you look fantastic on stage oh so. well i've brandon kemp to the thing for that he obviously coached me to that point but um yeah it, it's i i can assimilate a lot to your story because i'm i've always been the guy with not the greatest genetics i've always been lean never big i've placed second and third that many times through 41 shows um I can, yeah i can i can attest to a lot of that um you know and, and then finally i had my opportunity in 2019 to to win a couple so uh yeah never never from lack of trying just um you know you just got to keep trying to improve which is um i guess the beauty about this sport right that's why we keep coming back 100 percent, man so what's yeah. next on the cards for you when, when are you next competing oh look i i <laughs> i've told everyone i retired after new zealand that was my last show and look, yeah? I'll, never, I'll never say never because i'm 45 i'll never say never but um I've ticked every box. I've won a pro. I've won two pro cards. I've competed in a pro show. I travelled overseas um, to compete. So they were the majority of the goals that I wanted to, to do. But I'll never say never. I, I always think of myself as a better coach than an athlete. I always have, and um, you know, I love taking athletes to stage. I get more emotionally invested mm-hmm. in that um, than probably competing at this point. But uh, my wife keeps telling me, "No, no, you'll you'll get back. You'll you'll be back." So we'll see. You're- <laughs> And how long have you been married? Uh, been together 10 years, married nearly six. Yeah, she's known you for a decade like that. I think she's probably right. If I, <laughs> if I had to place my bet, like, are you retired or not? I'm going with wifey's opinion. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. I might, I might have to reach out to you to coach me. <laughs> oh, dude, it'd be, it'd be an honor and a privilege, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so look, just to finish up, every I always ask every guest on my podcast uh, the same question to finish up, just a bit of a personality thing, and that is who would you invite over to dinner? So if you could have anybody, could be alive, passed away, fiction, non-fiction, uh, male, female, who would you like to invite over to dinner to have a good meal and a good conversation with? You know, to be honest, and this maybe is just my um, my nostalgia and my slight isolation speaking, but it would be my whole family, extended okay. family that I have. 
you know, I live in New Zealand and, and my family's very, very small. So yeah. my father, like I mentioned, passed away in 09. I have no siblings. Um, and my mom is out here. So my immediate family is literally just our, 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 our alive cat, Bucky. Unfortunately, Milo passed away earlier this mm. year, but it's Bucky, my wife, Barb and my mom. So I, I get to see them, but I, uh, I grew up with, uh, an uncle and an aunt and a couple of cousins and, uh, they're in California and I don't get to see them nearly as often as I'd like living in New Zealand. Right. And with just how much gratitude I have and how they've been supportive of me and my journey all the way going back to 07, even when I was a little more dysfunctional with it, I would just love to be able to snap my fingers and have all of them in the same place because typically, you know, it's expensive to come to New Zealand, it's expensive to go to California. So it's only me there for a little bit hopping around or, you know, cool. in be- fitting in between each other's lives. And I'd love to just be able to snap my fingers and spend some time with them all because of how emotional I've been this year. So, um, yeah, I'm turning down opportunities to sit with, you know, Martin Luther King and Einstein and Gandhi, but <laughs> yeah. But right now what's present with me is I would just love to see those people. Fantastic. Great answer, mate. Great answer. Well, look, I'll I'll finish up there. Thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate it. Best of luck with Worlds, which is obviously on next weekend. I'll uh, I'll be tuning in with great interest because I know quite a few people, obviously yourself and Lawrence being two of many that are competing. And yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm keen to see how everyone goes and I wish you the best of luck and I hope you have a, a wonderful experience. And I'm assuming two, three, four years time, you'll probably be, be going around again at some stage. Yeah. Yeah. It really just depends on what the uh, WNBF rulings are looking like for how often you have to compete as a pro. Okay. Um, And I, I at the earliest, it'll be 2025 with me right. getting back on stage. And I'd prefer a little longer because I just know it'll take some time for me to really make the progress I need to, but I'm also going to be, laser focused how good um people will find out that this guy who's been competing in strength sport and bodybuilding simultaneously since the very beginning yep uh and and even in the same season i did a powerlifting meet this year um he's gonna go monogamous and he's gonna put a ring on bodybuilding (laughs) so um i'm sure that's gonna break the hearts of some of my fellow all-around physical culturists but uh you know i'm just so much better at bodybuilding than i am at strength sport so Yeah, I, I want to see how far I can take it. Absolutely, mate. Ceiling's the limit. I love it. That's awesome. Oh, thank you once again, Eric. I really do appreciate your time, mate. This has been a really good insight. And, you know, I was thinking when I um approached you about coming on here, you know, you, you obviously do a lot of podcasts and primarily talk about, you know, your evidence-based coaching and science and research and everything like that. And I wanted to get the Eric Helms story. So uh, I think we've covered the majority of that, particularly around bodybuilding. So it's been really a really great insight. So I do appreciate it. Uh, Paul, you're honored me and i appreciate the opportunity to talk about it and when this comes out definitely hit me up if you yep. want to do a collaborative post or whatever I, uh, i'd be more than happy to share it i appreciate that mate. thank you so much you got it brother wow that was amazing and i really do appreciate uh eric giving up his time he's in obviously in the depths of his prep with um wmbf worlds just around the corner so what a great insight into someone who has been competing for 16 years and chasing that dream of a WNBF Pro Card for 14 years. Just shows that uh, it's never too late, you're never too old, and as long as you show will, fight, determination, and consistency, anything is possible. So once again, big shout out to Dr. Eric Helms. I really do appreciate it. So uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please screenshot and share it on your stories. Tag myself at Paul's Body Engineering. Of course, tag Eric as well at Eric Helms 3DMJ. Uh, Now, if you're interested in any of my coaching services, please jump on paulsbodyengineering.com. But as I say to every client every single day, have a great day.